0: You know, I struggle walking across my front yard in bare feet. You know, there's always that little piece of gravel that digs into the bottom of your foot and makes you wince. Well, I can honestly say my guest today does not have that problem. My guest this episode is Hazen Ardell of Survive the Tribe, Hazen's Wild Survival Guide, Ultimate Survival World War II, and of course, Primal Survivor. Now, although technically Hazen isn't a wildlife filmmaker, he certainly is a natural history filmmaker and host, and wildlife does play a very prominent role in every episode that he records. Hazen and I chat about the good, the bad and the ugly of wildlife filmmaking, natural history filmmaking, so let's do this. This podcast is proudly powered by Battle Born Batteries. Let the power of lithium take you on your journeys across the outdoor world. Battleborn Batteries is the industry's top choice for lithium-ion batteries. Reliable, safe, and long-lasting, Battleborn makes the sustainable and lightweight drop-in replacement for traditional lead-acid batteries. Are you ready to make the switch to lithium and switch to green energy? If so, all batteries are in stock now, and you can shop today at battlebornbatteries.com. Hazen, good morning. Hey, good morning thanks for taking the time out to be on the master wildlife filmmaking podcast how are you doing this morning
1: good good i'm glad you guys are thinking about me so that's nice nice to be a part of what's happening this morning
0: absolutely absolutely well i um you know actually you think about you quite a lot because my kids are obsessed with primal survivor so i've got a couple of questions i'll get into later from them but um but yeah they love watching that and uh and yeah we'll 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 swing back around to that one but um but first of all <laughs> yeah well they they really do i'm not I'm not just saying that they uh they they love seeing the adventures you go on and as i say i have a couple of questions but we'll we'll get We'll get to those. First of all, we'll start off like uh, I start all of these. And that is just trying to find a little bit about how Hazen got into. uh, You're not strictly a wildlife filmmaker, but wildlife plays such a huge role in your shows that really you are. You're in the wildlife filmmaking industry. So um, how did you first break in? What, you know, starting from when you were young, what was it that led you on this journey to get into uh, filmmaking?
1: Well, I've been a wildlife fanatic my entire life. Um, I thought everybody was like that, except they just kind of grew out of it, and I never grew out of it. I uh, just, uh, I still catch roly polies and put them in <laughs> in little bug boxes, still to this day. So, um, uh, so uh, yeah, I've just been really fascinated with wildlife, nature my entire life, and then. Uh, I am kind of the first person in my entire lineage to have gone gone to college. So um, I think just fortunately, my folks recognized that I just had a real unique passion and encouraged me to go to school best they could. And I, I went there with wise wide open, but I was a I had no idea what I was getting myself into and was excited to be learning about all the different kinds of newts and all the different kinds of (laughs) cichlids out there and all the plants and you know when when you take about when you start a biology degree you're just not learning about that sort of stuff you're learning about Krebs cycle and the cell cycle and horribly dry stuff like that and I always had aspired to be a what I really wanted to do was be a, a freshwater ichthyologist and study in the Amazon and find new species you know that sort of stuff and that was not that didn't look like that was they were teaching me any of that sort of stuff in my college so um, I dropped out two quarters in and took off to South America uh, to the Amazon to see if that's really where I was going to dedicate my life towards and I thought that I'd be there for you know this is on a, on a a kid that was mowing lawns door-to-door with an electric lawnmower. I was on a budget, and I remember the plane ticket was $680, and uh, the rest of the money that was in that coffee can was about $78. And I thought that I'd live off that for about three months if I could go over there and camp, use the same camping equipment that I had in high school, and buy a bag of rice and, and hopefully be on the side of the river and catch all the fish that were in my aquariums and I'd make it through. And so being incredibly naive was probably my biggest attribute because I, I just, um, I was very shy, I suppose. I didn't really know the language. And I just wanted to go to the wildest place that I could find, which was the end of the road at that time. And there was a river and I just kind of camped out, squatted and stayed hidden in a tent and was fishing and using, you know, my little stove and cooking up rice and yeah I was out you know again uh trying to go out to the <laughs> make, make my own without really knowing anything about what I was doing and um I could see that I was in such a remote area that it was just indigenous people that were around, and they of course were living off of the land uh and it was I could see from across the river there were, there were kids that were always fishing in this these different fishing spots. And just reeling in really cool fish. I couldn't quite make out what they were from across the river, but they were obviously way more successful than I was. And but just as really as truly like maybe even weeks went by, um, we became more and more curious about each other. And, you know, I'd return back to my tent after exploring for the day. And you could see that somebody was rummaging around or exploring. Or I could see footprints and stuff. And it was a lot of those little kids that were out doing stuff. And then pretty soon you meet them on the trail and you see what's in their buckets and you see what's in their baskets and you see that they're, you know, uh, different kinds of amazing cichlids and and uh, eels and all the different kinds of catfish that i had always dreamed about seeing in real life. But I just saw them in books that I had. And, and then um, – Pretty soon, you know, we just kind of became play buddies, and then they showed me how to fish the right way and where the good spots are. And then pretty soon, they tell their parents that, "Yeah, there's just this kid living in a tent down there. He's just fishing." And then uh, I'd get invited into their into their folks' place, and then there's an expression that they have in uh, that's kind of a Latin expression: Mi casa, su Sukasa." So it's that moment when you just spend time with their family, maybe even just just a dinner. Um, But it was they could kind of assess really who you were. And and after that visit, my house is your house. And uh, they kind of saw my situation. And I think because I was uh, 19 years old at that time, uh, they just they took me in and said, you know, you should probably live with us and just probably as a way to save my life (laughs) but uh that was so yeah i I took them up on their offer because i could easily see that these people were you know if i wanted to learn about the jungle uh they knew where to find the fish they knew i could have conversations with them about or at least show them pictures in my books that I brought along with me of different kinds of anacondas and all that and they they knew Mm -hmm. where they all lived so they the next day they could go take me to those places so i was finally found my people and I, I had never been around people that they knew – they knew not – they didn't go into the forest and they just knew that there were pine trees and maple trees out there. They knew hundreds of different kinds of plants. And even the little kids that were showing me around, they knew – they would be picking leaves and I'd be wondering what they were doing. And, oh, yeah, we use this leaf when we have fungus between our toes. And, whoa, wow, okay, tell me more. And then takes them about <laughs> – 10 minutes to walk 10 feet through the jungle because they could explain every single plant this is what my grandpa uses to cure uh, an eye infection in, in, with the pigs and then my my dad uses this for his sore back and all this stuff so I had never been exposed to people with that kind of knowledge and and uh, that, that little um, adventure that where I had $78 and I was going to come back when I ran out of money well I wound up being there for 8 months and uh, it was just such a I guess at 19 years old, I was so impressioned by these people, their knowledge, the lifestyle. Um, When I went back, I had to go back to stay in school, but it was every day that I was in school dreaming about going back. So the minute school got out that summer, I went back to that same place. And then that really became my lifestyle for about the next 10 years, uh, going back to those locations and becoming more and more a part of the community. And um, yeah, started to recognize that if I am going to be a biologist, I'm going to do it with the incorporate the local people. And, and so, yeah, then I kept pursuing, I was able to kind of refine my degree. I got through undergraduate and then went to graduate school at the University of Hawaii, going to study tropical biology and ethnobotany. And that opened up doors to being able to travel not just to Ecuador but to Southeast Asia and the remote South Pacific. And then it was like, wow, this is yeah, the whole there's a whole world of just fascinating stuff happening. So I um, but during that, though, I got kind of I kind of knew that I wasn't going to be an academic any longer. I uh, just kind of where I live is a really wonderful place. I have a really close family. So I made the decision to get out of that and, uh, move to my little, little hometown and then be a science teacher, science and art teacher. And then I could continue my lifestyle in the summers and winters, you know, keep traveling and doing that. And as I was a teacher and becoming more and more of a dedicated educator, I would make little videos, um, for my kids of just my little travel adventures and they got really popular. And, uh. They'd put them on YouTube and stuff, and um, and then, well, you you had somebody named Rob Nelson on your program, and uh, Rob Nelson gave me a cold call, saying that he's mounting an expedition. To uh, he wanted to be a documentary filmmaker, and my my name was brought up somehow, and I was game for a, for an adventure, and that's how Rob Nelson and I. Got involved with each other. We we did this totally uh, cockamamie uh, documentary about the biodiversity of Mexico, and again, totally on a budget. I think we bought a van for like eight hundred bucks in Texas, and then brought it across the border, and then spent uh, the next few months in Mexico filming all the biodiversity of Mexico. And and he brought a he tagged along a couple other uh, people that were kind of specialists in their sciences, and yeah, we made this. Really hokey film that I'm very, very proud of. And and then we just kind of brainstormed together about how we can make science education videos. And we made these little gorilla style few few-minute-long uh, videos. And really the brains of the operation was Rob Nelson. And he put them, put them up on YouTube, and they got really popular. And then um, pretty soon we kind of had a nice portfolio for ourselves about what we do. And, uh, I think the big turning, one of the big turning points after that was, uh, we got invited at that time we were called, we called our business the wild classroom and we got invited to the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival, um, in the categories of, I think it was new media, uh, but it could have been, you know, up and coming filmmakers or something, something like that. But anyways, um, even then we couldn't even afford to have gone to Jackson hole. So we were there putting on our button up shirts and stuff, but we were camping in the woods uh, and it was oncoming to winter <laughs> at that time. So, um, but at, we were rubbing shoulders with the big wigs and thinking, wow, this might be, even though I've always dreamed about being a natural history, you know, a science presenter or a, or a animal host, it's like everybody wants to be a drummer in a rock and roll band. You know, they, they think about it, but they never think it's really going to happen. But that was that moment where I thought, wow, well, I've been given this amazing opportunity and I'm talking with national, national geographic and animal planet and discovery channel. And, and, uh, and then it was, it was icon films, the folks that make river monsters. Um, I, they, we were kind of introduced to one another and they didn't take me seriously because I, was just a child and I just wore (laughs) flip-flops and I was a punk. Uh, But we did court each other for a number of years. And I think the owners, Harry and Laura caught wind of a couple stories of just what has happened to me and what kind of Epic stories, I guess, maybe, maybe they were exaggerated or whatnot. Anyways, they, we set up another meeting and then I kind of told them about what I do and, And, uh, I said, well, there's not really any way of you really believing me or, or you're going to just have to, you know, we can make a, a demo reel or something, but you got to really see me in my, in my place. And, uh, they actually, they said, oh, well, when are you going next? I said, well, I'm going in April and they said, well, okay, well, I'll come with you, which I knew was not going to happen. Um, (sighs) But his daughter was in Ecuador uh, working in an orphanage, and sure enough, he went down there, and he brought one of his on-staff young camera persons, and the three of them, so Harry, Marshall, uh, Alex, the cameraman, Alex Holden, and then his his daughter, the three of them came with me, and I took them to the most remote place in Ecuador uh, to go be with my wow. tribe that kind of raised me since I was 19. Um, which were the Warani and I think they had a they had a trip of a lifetime. But knowing that even if we embarked on that mission, they live in such a remote place that it's not a guarantee that we're even going to make it there because the rivers are it's river travel, and depending on how the water is, whether it's flowing too much or too little, too many trees going across, you know, you have to it's you have to embark on an expedition to get there. But we did it, and we got there, and we made like a Few minute little demo reel, and they shot that around, and it was Nat Geo that uh, thought it was pretty cool, and then they commissioned a one hour aerial uh, pilot, and then we went to a series. Big big news for me. Then uh, second series was incredible, and then then it went to third and fourth, and I don't know where we're at now. It's been uh, quite the trajectory. It's, um, it has been. It really has been.
0: That That's fantastic. I love yeah. the fact that when you first went to Jackson Wild, you were camping uh, in the woods <laughs> and then, you know, putting your button on shirt up uh, and, and heading out. I, I think that's great because right. when <laughs> any of us first go to, you know, one of these festivals—they're—they're they're expensive, right? You know, if you're getting first right. getting into this industry, it's really expensive. I mean, it's expensive to to get there. It's expensive to stay there. If you can get a room these days, um, mm-hmm. and and it just shows though like, the commitment you guys getting out there and doing it regardless of what your resources were, you still you still managed to do it, which is fantastic. And and here you are today, and I think that's such great insight for people looking to get into this industry, because it's like, you know, do what you need to do at that time, because unless, you know, it's definitely not going to happen unless you put yourself out in that way. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you, you know, you, you, just think about all of the, all of the, uh, the mistakes that happened just right. And all of the, all of the little things that you did just to kind of follow your heart that finally got you there. <laughs>
0: absolutely so so when you first did your your first series which was um survive the tribe I think was that right yes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so when you when you first did that how did you come up with a storyline for that did you were were producers kind of putting that together and then you following through with what they were doing or did you very much say this this is what I can do this is how it will go how did you come up with the premise of the series
1: no, I, th- I think, um, I will say it's probably my favorite format. I mean, it's my favorite way to go. Um, now people look at it and say, you know, it's not the kind of format that suits television. or um, It has been forced to change. But it was, it Survive the Tribe was just very genuine. It was, um, I was with people that I was, really fascinated by, um, we looked at the different cultures that are around the world and, and I just kind of got thrown in. Um, I don't think there were much, many demands put on myself. It was just explore and, um, try to, uh, try to satiate my, my, uh, my fascination for the place and, and, uh, and the people. And I thought it was wonderful. And, and again, like I said, it was very genuine. But as TV happens, you know, then it's like, well, there's not really any other format of a show that's like that. So how can we make it similar to something else that's very successful on the program? And they kind of TVified it um, as the years went on. You know, they put a format to it. And, and um, I think rather than I, – I was just really proud to be able to show off these people that are – I, I think I always thought that the world needed to see, and they're very inspiring people. But then the, the different the the pressures kind of like the commissioners they want you to be some sort of a super superpower, you know they want you to be the the hero all the time. And then the show really became about me, and less and less about the people. And, and boy, I, I hear so much from the industry, um, when I was trying to pitch different shows. You know, I heard so many times just right in my face, you know, culture just isn't hot. Nobody wants to watch anything about culture, which I just, I don't believe it. There's no, that's no, there's people, right. there's no way. But um, since there's nobody, nobody doing that kind of show, the commissioners think, no, yeah, nobody wants to see a show about culture. So, yeah, for a few years, they uh, they really, I really had to fight really hard to show the locals that are there. And, um, less, cause I, I don't think I'm that kind of, um, fearless, absolutely no fault kind of guy. Um, but they really try to make it out like that. But fortunately I think, um, you know, I gotta be thankful for what they did to make it TV esque, I guess, because here we are, I think like 10 or 12 series. I don't know how many series we've done, but somewhere around there. And, uh, Which is a lot, so, and we're still going. We're still exploring. Yeah, so so it's good, and That's, I think it's
0: yeah. How easy was it for you? Um, You know, when but you'd been going out there for many many years, living with the the tribe out there, the indigenous people. How hard was it then to suddenly have a film crew following you around? Because it's not uh, I mean, I, I, you know, it came fairly easy for me when I first got in that situation because I'd given so many school talks and news interviews and things like that with the wildlife park that I was running, but it, it still was really, really hard. I was still extremely nervous. I mean, sick to the stomach sometimes just doing what I was doing in front of a camera. Did that come easy to you or was that a bit of a struggle? I, th- I think it was actually kind of
1: easy. Um, because one way that i was paying my paying my way when i was traveling before any of this and going to ecuador and stuff between between going to school is i was a i had a tour guide business as well so i was doing jungle trips and stuff and i just love showing people what i love and with a film crew i was doing the same thing i was just showing off the jungle and uh As you know, if if you ever get into the arena of of wildlife filmmakers, they're all very interesting, very um, very people with a lot of interests and are easily uh, entertained. I guess so. So (laughs) finally, I I have a little posse to go with and and share enthusiasm about. So I've always kind of thought of that thought of that as being as why it's been really cool. Um, The only time I really hate it is trying to deal with with the carne in the in the airport and and moving all the kit around during airports is
0: a serious ball
1: like i do hate that for sure yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah i don't think anyone is a fan of that process for sure um that so you mentioned Mm -hmm. um yeah being in airports so i so that brings me to my first question from one of my sons. Right, I have two sons, um, Finn and Bodhi. Uh, Finn is nine, Bodhi's six. Um, we're going to start with Finn's question because he he wanted to know. Now, I, just for uh, listeners who aren't aware of uh, the what you do and your shows, um, Hazen is out. You know, with these tribes in jungles, deserts, oceans. All sorts of different environments, and most of the time you do not wear shoes anywhere. You are, you are living like the indigenous tribes. You are barefoot in, you know, some of these harsh environments. And my son Finn wanted to know, does Hazen wear shoes when he's on a plane? Does he when he goes through the airport? Has he got shoes on, or does he go barefoot?
1: Well, there you go. Um, the uh- <laughs> Yeah. I've never, I've never been really known as somebody that wears shoes. Uh, I do wear flip-flops a lot. So I wear flip-flops all the time. I'm in the plane. I'll, I'll try to wear flip-flops anyway. Um, but the reason why I go barefoot is because, well, I learned when I was 19, you know, you go there, like I said, I was such a greenhorn. You bring your hiking boots and you bring your Tevas or whatever you have. And you learn real quickly that you can't just have boots in the jungle in a soaking, socking uh, soaking wet jungle, just because you get trench foot and you get really horrific skin infections just from your feet, not being able to breathe. And then if you wear boots and stuff, you get I get, I'm real prone, prone to blisters and stuff. And I think uh, the one thing that's really yanked me out of those situations is, is getting really severe infections. So um, I just, I think I was probably with the very best teachers or mentors on the planet, which are the Walrani and they don't wear shoes. And it was just always incredibly impressive to me to just see the, the, their abilities. And I think they set examples of, um, what humans are really capable of, but not only that, what we've been evolved to do. So, uh, just because they were so inspiring to me, I tried to do what they did. And I just learned that um, if you go into a lot of these communities and you have big fancy boots, they recognize you as somebody with big fancy boots. Um, And these people don't have access to that sort of thing a lot of times. So it's nice to be able to meet them where they're at. And I think just if they can see that I can keep up with them And that I still am pretty street savvy as far as knowing about the different dangers, um, not being scared of spiders and being able to walk the talk, which is, you know, walk through the jungle with them and, and how they do it. You get a, you do get a, it's kind of in their language. It's how they recognize character. So, um, I'm learning that much more and being more, much more part of a community if I can, um, be like them so I think I just I try to go in with without all the bells and whistles of of someone from the modern world and um I I think that's really helped me out a lot
0: in my life yeah I think it you can see you can see that it works in your in the programming because um yeah there's a certain respect you're going to get from those tribes people because of that And, um, and it's just, it shows that you're real and you're out there and you, you said earlier that the, um, that the, you know, the high ups in the networks want to make you look like the hero of the shot and be fearless and what have you, and you're not like that. But, um... Not being fearless, I mean, not wearing shoes in a jungle, that's pretty fearless in my mind. And just the things you're doing and embracing, it seems pretty fearless. My, my kids think you're fearless. So, so uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it comes across really, really well in, in, in the show. Um, and I have to add here that the reason Finn wanted to ask that question is because Finn never wants to wear shoes. Right, he's he's oh, okay. very similar. We he loses his shoes all the time because he takes them off wherever he is. Right, so we're constantly trying to find his shoes or buy him new shoes. And at any occasion, he will not wear shoes. Right, we'll we'll be oh, in the car great. going somewhere, and we'll find out he doesn't have his shoes with him. And you know, and, and so he's barefoot. So he loves that, that's and, great. and his feet are pretty darn hard. He he can handle it. So. <laughs> Um,
1: th- th- that is great. I, uh, so, whenever so, I put on shoes, I, yeah.
0: I can never find the other one. <laughs> right. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. Yeah. And we're making him. We're saying, come on, where are your shoes? We've got to go. We've got to go. Where are they? I can only find one dad. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very mm-hmm. similar. I recently got introduced to Athletic Greens as a way to optimize for better gut health, get more energy and optimize the immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's a lifestyle-friendly brand, which means whether you're eating keto or paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it's going to work for you. Contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And for every purchase, Athletic Greens is going to donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including no kid hungry here in the U.S. In fact, in 2020 alone, Athletic Greens donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. And not only that, Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. Again, in 2020, Athletic Greens purchased carbon credits to support projects protecting old-growth rainforests. That's huge. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. So to make it easy... Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do to get this deal is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. That's E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now back to the show. Okay, so when it comes to your knowledge, right, you are, your, you know, you're guiding your survival skills, but also your wildlife skills, you know, understanding wildlife, you're dealing with a lot of uh, venomous snakes and just dangerous uh, animals in general when you're out there. How do you stay up to date on these things? Because... A lot of questions come in about, you know, wildlife filming and and a lot of people steer themselves towards like they've got to understand gear when it comes to making films about mm-hmm. wildlife. Right? They're worried about the cameras and the microphones and getting the right shot. And is it going to look cool? And I always say, right. yeah, forget the gear. The gear is just going to come so easily, you know, when you need to worry yeah. about that. But understanding wildlife, animal behavior, safety is of paramount importance. How did, you know, did you learn all of those skills through um, the, your going to college and from indigenous tribes? Uh, or have you, have you made it a specific goal to learn about those? Or do you have to learn about them before you head out on a trip, knowing where you're going?
1: Well, I wish I would have learned that sort of stuff in school. And I think anybody that When anybody that's not a biologist hears about somebody that goes to, that went to school to study biology, they think that they learn about those kind of things, but that's just simply not true. They learn about like, uh, plant physiology and stuff. Um, so animal handling and animal behavior and that sort of knowledge just comes from, from, uh, being there, um, having actual experience with that, um, being with indigenous people, since they are living really hand to mouth and living in the same environments, they're interacting with a lot of that stuff all the time. So there's ample opportunity to, I guess, have practice, but it's also just that that sort of understanding animals. And um, there is a – there is a um, – I, I think there there is just a language that you do learn from animals. There are a couple animals that I am unfamiliar with, and I, I, I do have to be careful around that. But then, again, if you're around indigenous people and you see how they interact with it because they grew up with it and their grandpas grew up with it, there are good examples to follow, like, you know, things to watch out for and stuff. But um, I've gotten really lucky, I guess, over the past. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Yeah, no, and I think it's no. just by being a kid. I I never I never really ever since I was a little kid, I was just always catching snakes and frogs and turtles and animals and I guess a lot of that you learn the hard way. <laughs> so you don't yeah, you learn how to not get bit by a turtle and stuff
0: like that. Absolutely no. Or experience is the way. And I it's it's really to those filmmakers I think who who spend their time You know, worrying about gear and spending their time inside wanting to be a wildlife filmmaker, but not actually going out and spending time outside, you know, without a camera. Um, It's so important to get those experiences and and learn the hard way a lot of the time. Um, That's certainly how I learned.
1: I think you you do. I think that's very true. Um, Every once in a while, we do come across a filmmaker that is, they're an aspiring filmmaker because they, you know, they love SEALs. But they've never really been outside. And um, it really has to be not just because you love cute, cuddly animals. It's just because you love the life and you have to be there. With our film crew, they have to be able to be so comfortable outside, even though they might not want spiders in their bed. They understand that they, you have to live like that many nights at a time. Uh, you're not, you know, if you're getting into remote situations, you might be camped out for a really long time. There's lots of bugs, lots of mud. It's not a, it's not a phone call away from somewhere and you have to just enjoy it, you know, not, not the teddy, the animals that look like teddy bears, you know? Right. And, um, those are the people that really make it in the field is when they can perform by pushing all the right buttons on the cameras and stuff, but also, being there long enough and happy enough to be able to um, keep themselves out of danger and and endure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so speaking about your crew and and the way you make these shows, there are so many times throughout your programs where you'll put like a a, a time. Um, or a distance, so you might say something like I've got to get 60 miles across the Sahara desert on my dromedary camel. or you know, I've got five days to head down this river and meet up with a certain tribe. Are you, and this is kind of pulling the curtain back on TV here, right, which is what this show's all about. Yeah. Um, but are you are you doing those full five days, right, down that river and recording the whole thing? Or is it like this is what it would take? But I'm gonna do a day or so, and then we're gonna, you know, get do do something else to get there, and then continue filming. Are you actually doing these it, 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 expeditions and adventure for the full amount of distance or time um, as it's implying?
1: We are, we are. I, um, I I have no problem saying that there's a film crew with me. You know, I get. I think I get. It. If I want to go and yeah. go down the rabbit hole of seeing the comments of all the internet trolls. And, you know, they want to say, he obviously has a camera crew there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, they do. Have you seen the film? It's freaking gorgeous. It's beautiful. I'm so incredibly proud of the production value. And that's because they're incredibly talented people that go with us and with the drone shots and the creative eye and do that. And that's awesome. I don't want to do it, even though I think even in Spanish, my it's called Primal Survivor. the, the. the, the big series run right now, but I think in other places, parts of the world, like in South South America, Latin America, I think it's called um, Solo contra el mundo, which means like alone against the world. <laughs> I didn't. I don't pick these names. I don't pick right, Final right. Survivor either. But um, yeah. no, it's it's. We have a film crew with us, but um, it makes a beautiful film, and um, it's you know like I will tell you that when we get into locations like we were doing the, we did a film in the Darien Gap. Um, we, our entire film crew carried all of their film crew with them. We had to carry generators with us, whether we had, we could go as far as the, with the donkeys could carry, could carry stuff. And then after that we had porters. And so you work every day and it's not just five days out there. I mean, we're now, now we're out there for close to three months (laughs) it's not good three months every day outside in the freezing cold where i was just at it's not every day but it's hundreds of miles um out there spending lots and lots of nights out in the middle of nowhere where there are no no hotels no nothing like that and and you're you're relying on generators to recharge the batteries and you you brought them there how by whatever means you could but yeah like i was saying the Daring Gap or a lot of those kind of environments that are really wet, the, the entire film crew is, uh, you know, they're suffering. They can't walk around barefoot. They're, they're, they're suffering from trench foot the next day. They can't walk. They can't perform. They've had to, we have to trade out staff all the time. All of a sudden the sound crew, the sound man is, is, a uh, is an assistant cameraman, <laughs> you know, you get thrown into those sort of situations and, and, um, I work really hard to keep it that way, as best I can, because um, I want the most, the best examples of these cultures, and those cultures are living those kind of environments. You know, they're really remote. Um, Whether that we're sleeping outside in the gravel on rocks, sometimes we are. A lot, oftentimes though, we're we're with with people, with the different tribes or different communities or different really remote households, and we become part of their families too. Now there's a lot of research that's done. We don't just show up to these places, um, but you know that we will send out people to do recce's and stuff and get to know people and say, hey, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And do you have the time and abilities to be able to accommodate us as far as filming around you guys? A lot of these people, hunters and gatherers, they can't really afford to take a day off, you know. So we have to right. we have to film accordingly, I guess, if we're going to do that
0: and that's yeah interesting you bring that up I, I wondered how it can be certainly if you're there on your own and you turn up to a tribe you know and they take you in and and show you the ways and what have you that's one thing but to turn up with a film crew are there times where you literally cold call on them like you show up and you're like hey you know so you speak to them then and and, and try and uh get across that you want to stay with them and film with them and can these you know, how many people do you have in your crew? Like three people, four people? Uh, now it's
1: about six. So we'll have a main cameraman, assistant camera person, uh, director and assistant producer and sound. And then usually there's an it person, maybe, you know, to download footage and do all the, all the fix it stuff. Um, but that's just, those are the people that are in the field. There's, so many people that are involved and there's so many uh, little teeth to the, to the wheels that make this thing happen. You know, you think about we have central command over there in England doing all the logistics and doing all the permitting. And, and, um, then we have somebody usually an assistant producer that will go out and do a recce, you know, a few weeks before we film or a few months before we film and get to know the people. So, um, yeah, we don't, we don't just show up. There's a lot of planning. Um, that might be, admittedly, the magic of television. It might look like I just show up. But um, to be courteous to people's lives, um, we do we do a lot of research and a, and a lot of work beforehand to make sure that um, everybody's on the same page.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I saw, um, you know, you get yourself in some situations that can be bad. Uh, bad at the best of times, let alone when you're staying in the jungle or wherever you are for multiple weeks or months, um, one particular one I remember was when you were trying to get some honey out of a, a bee's nest up in a tree and you went up and you just got completely swamped with uh, or swarmed with bees and you're getting stung all over. And I think later on in the show, you were swimming and you still had bees in your hair that were, yeah. they were still alive, like in a nest in your hair have you ever been in any of those situations where you're like, what am I doing? You know, like this, this hurts. I'm uncomfortable. I, I could be home right now with my feet up. You know, uh, do you get into those situations where it's just like, what am I doing?
1: Unfortunately, I'm still really enthusiastic about what I do. Uh, do having a a B encounter like that. The only reason why I did that is because I've seen that already. I've, I've been there with indigenous people. I've been participating and getting honey from those people that are the real deal. Uh, Again, like I said, a lot of these people that live out there where they do, they are examples of what humans are capable of. Um, And then once you see that, you realize, yeah, we are – we can do that. I I don't think if I – I wouldn't have ever dared to do that or or thought that I could – withstand the pain or even know where the honey is without that sort of personal experience. So I I used to travel a lot and there were no cell phones. Um, a letter would never make it home anyway. So I, I had these wonderful experiences that television has never seen before. I just know that. And you come back home and you try to tell the stories, but you can't tell them all. And I think what's wonderful is that this now i have a film crew with me that's really finally documenting documenting my experience so my family know what i've been what i've been going through my nieces and nephews love seeing the actual animals that i'm coming across and and so that's pretty sweet and i i think about you know i was a teacher for 10 years so i think about When I'm talking to the camera, I just think that I'm talking to the classroom or I'm talking to my friends that are my colleagues. So if I say something really stupid or something, I don't I'm embarrassed. So I try to keep it as real to me as I can. And I I want my colleagues to appreciate what I'm doing. And I want my family to not uh, make fun of me when I get home. You know, so (laughs) that's how I look at it. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, it, there's something very special about having your own film crew, so you're making your own home videos <laughs> at the same time as making your know, right, international exactly. TV programs. It's great. Yeah. It's, so um, I, 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 this brings me to my... my My uh, other son's question. When you're out in the field, you do it in, I think pretty much every show, you're involved in making things right? you're making a lot of tools, whether it's baskets for fishing or axes or tools, clubs, you name it. Bodie, my six year old, he is fascinated when you're, you know, carving out a boat, a canoe from a log, or, you know, trying to make your bow and arrow or a blowpipe, I think you made at one point as well. So he wanted to know, do you ever keep any of the things that you make and do you bring them home with you? Do you have a room somewhere with cool tools?
1: Yeah, I do. I'm actually building a house now with a little bit more space. So I have more space to show off some of the things that i bring home and i have brought home some seriously ridiculous things um and uh so yeah i have uh my film crew makes fun of me because i i bring like they all have like name brand really you know fancy suitcases that are, have like north face and patagonia and all that sort of fun and then i just bring the suitcase that my mom brought maybe in the early 90s to the caribbean or something you know like just this giant ridiculous suitcase and i just i don't carry much there but i bring a bunch of stuff back and and i like to share you know a lot of a lot of the different things that are there like these amazing baskets and stuff that people take for granted over there i think uh i love to just give his gifts and stuff when i come back home
0: that's fantastic that's great yeah he 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 was like thinking, if I made a blowpipe in the jungle, I would want to take it home with me. So he he wanted to know whether you did that. So that's great. Now, um, in terms of da- dangerous situations, like situations with, uh, I mean, you're dealing with a lot. Let's talk about wildlife, first of all. Have you been in any situations where you, your life was threatened or you were actually really concerned about, uh, not getting out of somewhere because of wildlife, either being bitten, stung, or just being in a situation that was dangerous?
1: It does happen. It does happen. Um, uh, I think after doing this for a while, there are a couple of things that are a blur, which is kind of crazy to me. Sure. But th- there's one story that I can think of. Um, like during Survive the Tribe, we were in the Kalahari with the sun bushman and we were at a watering hole we kind of had a had a nice little hide in in a bunch of bushes and we're waiting for something to come along and they had all of their poison tipped arrows and it was coming towards evening and there was a big uh, dust storm over the hill and we thought there was some wind picking up and it wound up being a herd of elephants and if you've ever seen an elephant in real what in real life the first time you see him they're like way bigger than than you would ever think they would be in a picture, or a movie. They look like giant boulders, huge boulders, you know, and these, these uh, elephants were charging. They were just running towards the, towards the watering hole. And, but the, the thing that was happening was that we were in the way of that watering hole and we we're hidden in these bushes and there were about 80 elephants coming and, Oh wow! It was it was that sort of thing where you know this is just a just a little pile of bushes that's maybe ten feet by ten feet across and five feet high, but these elephants there were two things that were going to happen. If we run out into the open, there's going to be some of the elephants that are going to be really protective and run us down. Um, the next one, if we stayed in the hide, they were going to run us down. Because they were charging right toward, they were going to go right through all those bushes and everything. We were just going to get totally killed. So we all did have to make a run for it. And um, yeah, we made a run for it. And that was like a close call. And everybody was, you know, that was when everybody's emotions were around because the camera people weren't there. The camera people, they were all kind of out long lensing stuff. And we were all in the hide with the hunters. I think there was one guy maybe with a small GoPro or something and we barely made it out there. And then, you know, you get the lashing, like we were being so unsafe and you know, all this sort of stuff is like, well, no, you're just being really reactive because there's nothing we could have done. And there's different things like that. One of our last episodes, we, um, we were with some indigenous people and yet again, they were getting some honey and, and, uh, it just got totally crazy insane out of control the the bees had us all um it was yeah totally uncontrollable situation and we all basically ran for our lives there are a couple of people that were um had anaphylaxis and stuff and and i think how you would say we got our asses handed to us uh during and that just happened a couple months ago and it's like you you can't be too cavalier about um What we're doing with with wildlife, you know, you still have to be really respectful and and, um, understand. I think we all have to really understand our own physical limits, but also understand the possibilities.
0: Do you have a... Um, a really good medical, uh, do you have a person who's medically trained with you uh, with a, with a large first aid kit or are you traveling so light that, you know, it's minimal stuff because obviously with anaphylactic shock, I mean, that can kill someone pretty darn quick. Um, how do you guys yeah. deal with emergency situations? Th- that's a good question. Um, before
1: I so I am wilderness first responder um, pretty adept at wilderness first aid and um, and then I, th- I think if anybody wants to be a wildlife filmmaker I think this is an important thing to, to understand. If you are the one that has certifications in um, in medicine, field medicine, uh, first aid, first responder, uh, you're going to be held at priority for coming on the next trip. So it's not just not just getting – being really adept at being a cameraman, but be a cameraman and be a first responder at the same time. That's going to get your foot in the door. There you go. Um, so yeah. uh, we – all of our staff get at least kind of a preliminary first aid stuff, the stuff that's going to mostly happen. And then we try to select members of the crew that do have a significant, you know, first responder EMT sort of certifications. Um, what's been happening though now with the dynamics of COVID and trying to work under those conditions is we do now have to have a medic with us. Um, I think it's has a lot to do with either the country itself has laws that require that or insurance requires that or yeah so that's kind of what's been happening now um it's another man that we have to that's along there uh sometimes getting into the shots and he's somebody that we have to feed <laughs> and somebody that uh right. you know they wind up fiddling you know fiddling their thumbs around a lot but then uh some of the people that we get are really active in the shooting and you know can get things for us and are participating and those are the people that you you just can't really train somebody on how to do that it's just innately who they are and those are the kind of people that we we hire as far as those if they're going to be specifically first aid first responders they've got to, you know you want to make sure that they can do four-wheel drive and they can do uh you, you know they can they can get materials, they can speak the languages, you know, that sort of stuff, but then they become a real asset.
0: Yeah, that that's actually really good advice, and we've not had that before where... Talking about if you're a camera person and you can be an EMT, you can have some kind of first aid training. How valuable is that? That's uh, that's incredibly incredibly good. I had a, I was out filming uh, back four years ago, 2018, um, and I was just a one man film crew at the time. You know, I was out picking up some footage of an elk capture and release, putting collars on, uh, and I got hit by an elk and snapped my tibia and fibula on my lower right leg, and there was no oh my one gosh. there. There was no one there with any uh, emergency training, so I ended up. Wow, that's a story, huh? Yeah, I I was three and a half hours on the ground before a helicopter could get in and get me, and I had to direct people of what to do with my leg, and tape it up with some duct tape and a blanket. And yeah, you realise that, that it's those moments that make you go, "Gosh, you know, th- this was just not thought about." And of course, I was on my own. I did that. We weren't a mm-hmm. crew. I was on my own filming it. Um, but you suddenly realise that, that how how quickly situations can go downhill very very fast when it mm-hmm. comes to a medical situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Hazen, in terms of you know, when I was. Actively, you know, I hosted uh, a bunch of series with National Geographic International. Um, I'd go out and uh, all, all around the world doing something very similar, not the survival stuff, but very much wildlife-based. And I would find that when I, 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 there would be a lot of, you know, I'd, I was running a wildlife park back in the UK uh, and then I'd have a lot of apprehension leaving to go to film just because I was leaving behind a really important job and I'd be there'd be lots of worries with the shoot and I'd have that apprehension. And then I would get there and over time, it would be really enjoyable. I'd love it. And then I'd get back, and, and all this jumping around, going from country to country, back from you know from home, out into the wilderness, it kind of it, it, it took a toll on me to the point where I was, you know, a lot of the time, I'd get back, and I wouldn't be happy with being back. Or I would go away, and I wouldn't be happy with being away. And it's like this dream job, traveling the world, having a film crew with you, documenting everything but there's this weird thing that can happen and you can kind of find yourself just struggling with, you know, being happy where you are. Are you making the most out of the situation? Uh, that kind of thing. And I, 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 struggle with that quite a bit. How do you find that transition? Cause you're immersing yourself way more than I ever did. M- way more than most people in this industry. Does that take a toll on you in any way? Or are you just happy wherever you are?
1: I will be very candid and real right now um, it's, it's, it's starting to, I'm really having to, to evaluate um, the, 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 the amount of time that I'm gone now. I, I mean, I, I can be ecstatic and be career oriented and think about, you know, this show is really getting more popular and, and it's wonderful. And I'm very proud of it. And it's, yeah, it's it is who I am. But it's also, um, these trips now are so intensive, being gone for three months at a time and doing what I do. You come back to this home that I love. I'm very kind of family oriented. I come back home and there's just not a lot of people that identify with what I've gone through and it's, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I want to love life and you know i'm getting those are kind of become my my priorities and i i want to love life to where i can share these experiences with and you know maybe even have children and take my children on these sort of expeditions like this i don't want to die doing these expeditions and i don't want to die alone so um these these are things that i'm thinking about right now so i'm just saying that you know being real being candid I do have an incredible uh, dream job. You get um, accolades everywhere you go, but it's also, you know, you got to make it. You got, you got to maintain your happiness in whatever ways you can, and it takes a little bit of all the different worlds to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you talking about that. It's the side of things that. Uh... I don't think any of us think about when we get into this industry, we get in, we're, we're so career oriented, we, we want to be a filmmaker, we want to have our own gear and get out there and make films, or we want to be part of a crew or we want to be with this network, uh, that it, it, those things are not thought about until you're in the middle of it. And then all of a sudden, it's it can be weird. It's like living two separate lives, almost in some ways, like the life away and the life <laughs> back at home. And integrating back into those can be can be really really difficult. I I certainly remember that um, very well. Um, Hey Hazen, I, I really appreciate you one talking so candidly, being here today, and uh, talking about what you do. Um, finally, can I just ask you for some more advice? If you and really from from whatever aspect you know, you are a presenter, you are out there, you are a survival guide, you are um, an instructor. From what you do, if someone is looking to do something similar to you, whether it's hosting or be, you know being the front person of a of a crew and a show. Um, or you know survival, what kind of advice would you give them? We got a lot of listeners who are people who are really passionate about trying to break into the industry. But they don't really know where to start they don't know if you know the, the one thing as we both know about this is there's no blueprint right no, no one no, you know no. you didn't you didn't say at, you know 20 years old okay these are the steps I need to do to get here it just happens and it happens all over it's just this crazy winding road so if you have some advice for people out there who may be in that situation what, what might that be
1: uh, you have to hustle and you have to affiliate you have to be around people that are movers and shakers and are doing those sort of things. Um, and I, and then the other thing too is, is do you have to be, you have really still have to maintain who you are. Um, there were a lot of times where I thought, Oh, well, if I'm going to be a natural history filmmaker, if I'm going to be a host or presenter, I got to move to LA. And I was always hard on myself for not moving to LA and just devoting myself to LA. But in a lot of ways, I uh, that wouldn't be who I who I am. And I stayed home doing the things that I do. And fortunately, there's a show about what I do. <laughs> it's not about what I do in LA. Um, right. But at the same time, you know, you're you're. Um, I was. I've always been. Attracted to and, and making friends with and feeling most comfortable with people that have an an inordinate fondness for nature. And um, then I think, like I said, I think Rob Nelson was absolutely um, integral in, in me being to where I am now. And it was just because I met somebody that loved animals like I do and wanted to share his enthusiasm about that with the world and that's what got me there. So I think, yeah, affiliating with, with those kind of people get you places.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's really good. Well, th- Hey, Hazen, thanks again. I appreciate it. Where, where can people see your shows? Cause you've got a bunch of different series. Uh, where, where are they? Where can they find them? Yeah.
1: Well, right now, I guess under my belt, I have three different series. There's Primal Survivor, or no there's okay so first of all it's survive the tribe and then we have primal survivor and then I did a really uh, one series that I'm pretty proud of it's called ultimate survival world war two which is about um, it's it's quite a bit different than the other survival shows it's still more or less of a survival wildlife adventure show but it's about retracing the steps of, of um, the the men that were involved with world war ii how they were fighting whether they were marines wow. air force navy all that and how when they experienced their own wilderness uh, survival stories um escaping pow prisoner war camps things like, uh surviving plane wrecks trekking across australia you know doing that so it was really unique in that i could kind of live dive into their lives and show their lives off about how courageous they were and
0: I, I'm you were cutting out there for a second so i just want to make sure uh that you mentioned this but they're on disney plus right okay, all of yes. your programs are streaming on disney plus yeah mm-hmm. fantastic and plus. and last yeah. yep yeah and, going. and i'm gonna say i keep saying lastly <laughs> <No> <laughs> we've got worries. a big delay here i keep saying lastly but this is the last thing if people want to follow you on social media do you do much social media
1: uh i i have a pretty I enjoy Instagram the most. So I have just, it's just Hayes and Adele at, on Instagram. Yeah. There might be a few awesome. cheap knockoffs of some people Excellent. pretending well, to be me, but <laughs> I think you'll find me.
0: Uh, fantastic. Well, that's, that's kind of nice. You got people pretending to be you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Hey, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out this morning to be on here. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to your next show as my kids are, so uh, thank you. Oh, great,
1: great, thank you. You take care, it was a pleasure. See you, bye-bye.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please consider leaving a rating and a comment. And subscribe, if you haven't already done so, from wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. The ratings really help rank the podcast and get more people to find it. Also, if you know someone who is into wildlife filmmaking, or maybe they're a nature photographer and they're looking to transition, and they aren't listening, To the podcast currently, please tell them about it. Word of mouth is the best way for me to build my listeners uh, for this podcast. I would very much appreciate it. And also, if you are looking to break into the wildlife filmmaking industry and you're just looking for help, you're looking for answers for burning questions that you have, then please consider looking at my master wildlife filmmaking mentoring uh, group and Mentorship Program. You can find that at jakewillers.com and just click on the Mentoring tab or Learn More tab where it says on just the homepage there. You can find it very, very easily. And then lastly, if you want to help support this podcast, the best way you can do it, other than just telling other people about the podcast, is to go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash MWFP. That's patreon.com forward slash MWFP. And there you can get all sorts of bonus content. We have extracts from podcasts that didn't make it to these episodes because they went on so long uh, because I didn't want to stop talking with our guests. So we put the extra content there. There are catch-up conversations with previous guests, finding out what they've been doing since I last spoke to them, and so much more of the behind the scenes. Please consider taking a look. That is the best way to sponsor this podcast and get more episodes in the future.